Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Sunday evening to you. Welcome to another edition of American Gun coming to you right here from the Alien Gear Holster Studios right here in beautiful North Jetson, Indiana. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Jason Reeve, your host. We got a special Sunday edition of American Gun tonight. We didn't broadcast last night because me and... My wife, Sam, who's the manager here for American Gun, were down at the NRA annual meeting in Indianapolis. We went Saturday and today. We had a great time. Uh, later on in the show, I have the interview that I did with Lieutenant John Norse. Uh, but first, I would like to give you guys a special treat here. Uh, normally, you guys don't hear from my wife, Samantha, um, except on an ad or two, for, but uh, she is wanted to come on and talk about the meeting uh, and uh sam welcome to the show hello uh <laughs> little different being on this side of the mic huh yeah a little bit <laughs> <laughs> so uh what was uh what was your takeaway from going to the nra annual meeting and what was some of your favorite moments well i could say the favorite moment right now was just meeting chuck norris that tops it all <laughs> off but no the ever meeting everybody there the whole group of people that was that attended, meeting so many important people, seeing so many vendors, seeing all the new products is just amazing. Would you uh, recommend anybody going to the NRA annual meeting? Oh, yes. Oh, uh, yeah. We, uh, we do know that next year the NRA annual meeting is going to be in Nashville, Tennessee. So we'll probably be, uh, well, you're going to make the hotel arrangements uh, this time because... Uh, I uh, made a pretty bad blunder on the hotel arrangement. The hotel that we went to looked like something out of a yeah, horror movie. <laughs> but, um, you know, I know you got your opportunity to, you got to meet some police horses today. If anybody wants to know, my wife, Samantha, is a huge lover of horses. And uh, she got to meet yesterday uh, the mounted police in Indianapolis. So I know she enjoyed that too. What did you think about the protesters? The one protester? The, the one protester we saw. <laughs> Ain't it funny how uh, the left is always talking about that the majority of Americans agree with them and that the NRA is an evil organization and yet we've seen only one protester? 
who just walked by and didn't even say a word. <laughs> nope, just holding a sign saying we were a terrorist, terrorist. organization. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sam, I know I don't want to hold you up too much. I know you're not used to this speaking on this side of the mic, but I appreciate you coming on and sharing some of your moments with the uh for, with the NRA annual meeting, so I appreciate it. No problem. All right, I love you, babe. <laughs> love you too. <laughs> All right, we had a great time at the NRA annual meeting. As Sam was just talking about, uh, we got an opportunity to meet Chuck Norris, which, I mean, it was an absolute honor to meet Chuck Norris. He was at the Glock uh, booth, and we got to meet him and his wife, and Chuck Norris and his wife are just awesome amazing people that was fun we also got a chance to meet uh coley under war he's got his own show on uh nra tv uh gives a whole perspective and, and something that i really love and respect about uh mr noir is the fact that he is uh he brings that african-american side to the gun rights movement because a lot of the people on the left say that the nra is all for white middle-aged men so it was a real honor to meet him uh, we also went over to the second amendment foundation booth and met with you know our good friends over at the second amendment foundation um alan gottlieb dave workman uh alan gottlieb's son andrew also we had an opportunity to speak with mark walters uh the host of armed american radio and actually as of tonight Mark Walters is doing his 10th anniversary of Armed American Radio. So a big congratulations out to Mark Walters and everybody over there at Armed American Radio. Um, it is absolutely a treat and a blast to have the opportunity to talk with Mark and everybody involved with the Second Amendment Foundation. And then today, as we were walking around, we ran into... Uh, Rob Pincus, who happened to take a look at Samantha's carrying rig. Now, if you guys are new to the show here, of course, Rob Pincus is a world-renowned firearms instructor. He is literally the expert on training on firearms. And he took a look over at Sam's setup, and he gave her a compliment saying, you know, he loved how Sam's rig was set up which Sam was carrying her pink Glock 42 in an appendix holster. Um, and <laughs> that, that was definitely a highlight for Sam as well. But we also ran into our good friend, Jen Jakes, who was there at the Crossbreed booth where we ran into uh, Rob Pincus. And it was just absolute fun to sit there and talk with Jen. Um, Jen, you know, I, I got a to say Jen Jakes is one of the most aspiring people I've had an opportunity to follow. I followed her writings when she worked at Bearing Arms. She's working for Crossbreed now. I absolutely love Jen to death. She has, you know, definitely been there to help us along the way here with American Gun. And uh, we've often used some of her quotes and her writings on this show to help advance the gun rights movement and the Second Amendment. So it was a real treat to get to meet Jen face-to-face. -face. Uh, the only person that I really missed that we didn't see today um, was our friend Beth Bauman out at Town Hall. I know Beth couldn't make it to the NRA annual meeting uh, because uh, she had a 
family member who was having surgery and so she was unable to make it but uh we do love beth too and you know hopefully she will be there next year with us in nashville but all in all as sam was talking about it wasn't just the nra annual meeting isn't just about carrying guns guns and guns and more guns it has nothing to do with that the nra annual meeting is for an opportunity for nra members to go to the NRA ILA's leadership forum. If you guys went on Friday, the president and the vice president were there. Steve Scalise, uh, Representative Steve Scalise, uh, who survived that shooting at the Republican congressional baseball practice, which happened a couple years ago, he was invited and he spoke as well. So we get an opportunity to kind of see the way that the NRA is going and this is an opportunity too for our members to come in one place and see the different firearm manufacturers, seeing the different vendors that are out there. I mean, we had vendors that were out there that weren't just for guns and firearms, accessories, holsters. We had grassroots movements out there, such as the Well-Armed Woman, Second Amendment Foundation, the uh, CPRC, the uh, Crime Prevention Research Center, you had clothing uh, apparel there. 511 was there. I mean, it was... Uh, I'm sorry, what was that? Hunting trips. Hunting trips. They had hunting trips there that was also for, uh, you know, safari trips. Uh, when ultimate hunting experience. We went over to the Brownells booth and they were actually running a contest where you can win an AR-15 and get the John Wick experience. So, I mean, it's something that is for everybody there. Um, they even had the Bristol Motor Speedway. There was a trophy there from when Jeff Gordon won the Br Bristol Night Race back in 1998, 20 years ago, that trophy that Jeff Gordon won. They had the pace car for the NRA Night Race. I mean, it was just, there's something for everybody there. And it's a, what I really love about the NRA annual meeting. And this was our first time going. This was mine and Samantha's first time going to the NRA annual meeting. We weren't able to make it to Dallas last year because quite frankly, we had a, a conflict with work and Samantha was pregnant. We didn't want to fly with uh, Sam being pregnant with Austin. So this was, it was a real treat that this was in our home state of Indiana but what I really loved about being there at the NRA annual meeting was the absolute camaraderie that we had with the members and everybody that came to the show. Over 80,000 people were there over the course of this weekend. And this is probably the biggest turnout of people in Indianapolis since the Super Bowl was played at Lucas Oil Stadium. I know somebody's probably going to look at me and be like, yeah, well, what about the Indianapolis 500? Well, yeah, that's kind of true too, but that's kind of in Speedway, not in downtown Indianapolis. So all in all, it was an absolute blast. It was a treat. I recommend anybody who is an NRA member, plan your weekend out accordingly and go to the NRA annual meeting. I guarantee you, you will not regret going to this show. And it's not like SHOT Show. 
you have an opportunity to buy things there. I mean, <laughs> my wife, Samantha, bought a tactical vest for our dog, Chloe. And I mean, this thing's sharp. Uh, I, you know what? Well, I'll go ahead and post that to our Twitter page at JasonReeve81. And you can see it was sharp. But I mean, that's what I mean by they had something for everybody. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better scene to be in there. 15 acres of guns, gear, accessories, clothing. It was just an absolute honor and a treat to get to go this year. And I definitely look forward to going to more NRA annual meetings down the road. All right, folks, we're going to go ahead and take a timeout. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the news that we got today. Well, it's not so much news, but basically... I had it out with uh, Fred Gutenberg's sister today over gun rights and the Second Amendment. I definitely want you to be here for that. I also have a short interview that I did with Taser um, with uh, Sarah Montel, I think was her last name. I probably got it wrong, but we did a short interview with them because I do get a lot of people asking about Taser. And then, of course, we have our big interview with Lieutenant John Norse. We'll be right back after this shapeshift holster series each holster is made for your specific firearm glock sig ruger smith and wesson it doesn't matter go to aliengearholsters.com to browse their holsters once again that is aliengearholsters.com are you looking for some cool but awesome gear We'll take a look at alpha defense company jason reed from american gun here alpha defense makes all different kinds of apparel for men and women. Whether you are an outdoorsman or just want to make a fashion statement, Alpha Defense Gear is right for you. They make multi-use face shields, arm sleeves, winter fleece face shields, jackets, headwear, and much, much more. They even make a dog shield. That's right, even a face shield for your best friend, your family dog. Visit alphadefensegear.com for deals and browse their selections. Once again, that is alphadefensegear.com. All right, folks, welcome back to American Gun, the special Sunday night show that we're doing here with our NRA annual meeting wrap-up. Now, we talked a little bit about the protesters when Sam was on air, and, well, to be honest with you, the one protester, we didn't see any other protesters. And there was a... Twitter incident that I had today with one Fred Gutenberg's sister and Fred Gutenberg's sister is apparently upset with me because you see Fred Gutenberg was tweeting out a lot about the NRA annual meeting and talking about how uh, the people there at the NRA weren't carrying guns and that he stood hand in hand and protested with the, with Alyssa Milano and everybody like that. And I, of course, reacted and said, well, you know, the whole thing that, um, Fred Gutenberg's talking about was that we weren't able to carry our guns at the NRA meeting and that the NRA is pushing this agenda that, oh, well, we want to carry guns everywhere and yet we're not allowed to carry at our own annual meeting. And that turned out to be false. 
Uh, I was carrying my firearm at the meeting Saturday along with my wife. We carried today. The only time that you were not able to carry a firearm was Friday when the president and vice president was in. And that's not a decision made by the NRA. That's a decision that's made by the Secret Service. Now, folks, there were FBI agents walking around the convention center this weekend that me and Sam saw. There were dogs. There were police officers with dogs. And we both had our firearms exposed and we weren't stopped by the police. We Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. weren't arrested or anything like that, and I pointed out to Fred Gutenberg and... Everybody else who was saying that we couldn't carry our guns at the NRA meeting. And when Fred Gutenberg put out a tweet a couple days ago that said he stood hand in hand with Shannon Watts and Alyssa Milano at the NRA annual meeting in Dallas last year, saying that he firmly protests the NRA for what happened to his daughter in Parkland, which I called Fred Gutenberg out for what he was. He was a liar and a hypocrite. See, there's that old saying that you are the company that you keep. And Fred Gutenberg is running around with a known liar, Shannon Watts, somebody that we have basically destroyed at every chance that that Shannon opens her mouth. And then, of course, Alyssa Milano was out there with armed security at last year's NRA annual meeting. So Fred Gutenberg is surrounded by guns because he's standing side by side with Alyssa Milano, but yet he doesn't want me or you to have a firearm for self-defense. To which his sister, uh, his sister commented after I made what her name is Abby Gutenberg, you'll kill us, but we'll just call her Abby Gutenberg, and I replied to. And said, LOL, LOL, they are letting us carry our firearms. I was carrying my firearms today, yesterday, which was meant for Saturday. To which Abby Gutenberg said, good to know at FBI. To which I was like, oh, she's trying to turn me into the FBI. And then she turned around and said, I'm also turning you in to the Secret Service. So apparently I'm going to be sitting here at home waiting for a black SUV to pull up, which probably is never going to happen. So I retweeted out Abby Gutenberg's tweet saying that she had contacted the FBI and basically trying to get me in trouble for lawfully carrying a firearm. To which I I tweeted, here is Abby Gutenberg trying to turn me in to the FBI for lawfully carrying a gun at the NRA annual meeting on Saturday. The Gutenberg family is unhinged. And if you guys have been following Fred Gutenberg after the tragedy that happened in Parkland, Fred Gutenberg has been on a crusade to 
destroy the NRA. He's on a crusade to destroy anybody that Trump puts into a position of authority. Uh, if you guys remember at, during the Judge Kavanaugh hearings, when they took their first break, Fred Gutenberg basically blindsided Judge Kavanaugh. And when Judge Kavanaugh didn't have any idea who he was and simply walked away, Fred Gutenberg said, you see, Judge Kavanaugh doesn't care about people who have lost their lives due to gun violence. So I made that statement out about Abby. And I understand she's coming to the defense of her brother. But she said, and this is the clear victim mentality that you have with people who are so far left. And she said, attacking someone who's lost his child in a mass shooting is unhinged. Folks, I'm not attacking Fred Gutenberg as a person. And I responded to her and said, I'm not attacking your family. I'm attacking your family's view on gun owners and the NRA. There is a difference. I want to grieve with your family for the loss of Fred's daughter and Abby's niece. But instead, their family has politicized this tragedy and blamed an organization that has nothing to do with it. And that is what basically Fred Gutenberg, David Hogg, Emma Gonzalez, basically everybody here in Parkland, they blame the NRA. To which I put out to her, you guys have the right to say what you want, but I have a right to dispute that. To which she responded back to me and said, I agree, but can, but it can be done without calling my brother a liar and a hypocrite. To which I responded again, if he wants to attack the NRA and its members, calling us monsters and blaming us for it, and what I meant by it was the tragedy that happened in Parkland, I will dispute it. And if he spreads misinformation and false narratives, I will call it out and call it what it is. To which she said that he blames the NRA leadership and not gun owners many of whom believe in common sense gun safety. To which I responded, blaming the NRA is blaming gun owners. And the number of as many gun owners who Abby claims, a lot like what you see with Shannon Watts, claiming that therefore got common sense gun laws, because look what happened yesterday in California. There was a shooting at a synagogue in California and all of those laws that Democrats and the gun prohibition lobby are pushing are all, California already has them. They have universal background checks, a registration, a ban on quote unquote assault weapons, a 10 round magazine limit. They have all of these restrictions and yet it did nothing to stop what had happened in that synagogue shooting in California. So you see, Abby Gutenberg is basically saying that Fred Gutenberg isn't blaming the NRA, to which I tweeted out in reply to Abby Gutenberg, to which I said this, looks like he is more interested in blaming the NRA, I'm just saying. Because Fred Gutenberg put out a tweet yesterday 
that said, I will be on MSNBC Sunday morning at 10 a.m. discussing the breakdown at the NRA. Maybe we can discuss the new investigation into their tax-exempt status, or Ollie North, or who knows. It should be fun. You see, the thing is this here, folks. Abby Gutenberg is all for having a conversation for disrupting the NRA. But the thing is this, when I pointed out to Abby that I said, why isn't Fred Gutenberg blaming the Broward County Sheriff or the FBI for knowing the shooter was dangerous and did nothing? Remember, folks, we talked about the shooter in Parkland who had been notified to the police over 39 times, and yet nothing was done. That's who Fred Gutenberg should be angry with. I haven't heard Frank or Fred Gutenberg once criticize the sheriff or the FBI for failing to do their jobs. I have not once heard Fred Gutenberg do that. To which she complained that that is completely untrue that Fred blames them, the killer, and the gun. Well documented if I was to follow him. And I said, well, every... All I ever see from him is him tweeting about the NRA. He write he writes op-eds about the NRA. He just keeps going on and on about it. And I wanted to point out something else that I said to Abby as well. Because she said that we can have a conversation without the name calling. And I said, this is what happens when you enter the public spectrum. You have to have thick skin. If not, you need to stay off Twitter and you need to stay off the MSNBC cameras. Since I have been doing this show and since I have become a Second Amendment advocate, I have been called names such as a Nazi, a child killer, and so many egregious things that I can't even repeat on this airway. And a lot of it I got from the Parkland area. There were people that were actually telling me that they hoped my kids were killed in a school shooting so I would know what it's like to feel their pain. Again, as I've said before, I wanted to grieve with this family. There is nobody on earth that wants to see kids being taken from their parents in a horrific event like we saw in Parkland. But instead of our families and the nation being able to grieve with these families that had tremendous loss. They instead want to politicize this and make this about blaming guns and blaming the NRA. Abby pointed out to me that her family did not choose this. It was chosen by the AR-15 bullet that murdered her niece. To which I responded, it wasn't the gun that killed your niece. It was the killer that pulled the trigger. You see what Abby and Fred and everybody in the gun prohibition lobby doesn't ever seem to understand is that you cannot legislate away evil. They all have this idea that if we do away with the AR-15, these school shootings are going to stop. These, these are not going to do anything 
to stop a determined attacker. It's just not going to happen. And I know that it sounds like a good idea, but the facts are this. Even if you were to ban the AR-15 and semi-automatic rifles, people are going to go to schools with shotguns and handguns. Keep in mind, folks, the most deadly school shooting in American history was Virginia Tech. And that was done with two handguns. But everybody wants to blame the AR-15 because it's a scary black rifle. I just wanted to point this out and share this because I actually got some engagement from somebody close to Fred Gutenberg. And of course it was the classic, you're attacking him for him losing his daughter. No, I'm not attacking him personally. I'm attacking, I'm attacking his views. That's just like David Hogg when people say to me, you're attacking a boy that survived a school shooting. No, I'm attacking his ideas. I'm not attacking him personally. You see, you guys take it as that you can say what you want about us. And we're just supposed to take it. But when we try to dispute it with you, you play the victim card and you shouldn't be saying this to me because I've, I've suffered tremendous loss. But it's okay for you guys to call us monsters and child murderers. See, logic is not something that leftists and gun control advocates understand. I mean, look at what happened right after the synagogue shooting. You had that wacko Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez tweeting out saying, we need to pass H.R. 8, which is the universal background check bill. California already has universal background checks. It did nothing to stop the shooting. So why do we continue to do the same thing over and over again and it get us nowhere? Just food for thought. I mean, that's the definition of insanity. Doing something over and over again unless and expecting a different result. And the result is always the same. All right, folks, we're going to step away for a timeout. Then we're going to have our taser interview and our interview with Lieutenant John Norse. We'll be right back after this. Hey everybody, Jason Reeve here. As you know, I am a proud supporter of the United States Concealed Carry Association, but I'm not only a supporter, I'm a member. The USCCA is the greatest organization for the responsibly armed American. That is why American Gun is partnered with the USCCA to bring you life-saving tips and training for you, the American Gun listener. The training includes countering a mass shooting, concealed carry and home defense fundamentals, advanced fighting and survival tactics, and women's handgun and self-defense fundamentals. And that's not all. We also have a link for you to get 100% peace of mind by joining the USCCA and getting the Self-Defense Shield, the greatest self-defense insurance you'll ever need. If you ever have to defend your life or the lives of your loved ones, the USCCA has your back. Head over to AmericanGun.info and see the exclusive offers from the USCCA. The Second Amendment Foundation is arguably the most important gun rights organization in the nation, winning cases at the state and local levels all the way to the Supreme Court. But we need your help. Join or donate to the Second Amendment Foundation at saf.org. That's saf.org. The Second Amendment Foundation, winning back our gun rights, one lawsuit at a time. This segment of American Gun is brought to you by the United States Concealed Carry Association. 
Visit uscca.com to begin your path to becoming a responsibly armed American. All right, folks, welcome back to American Gun. And I got a very short interview here with Taser. It is about a minute and five seconds long, but I had some quick questions that I wanted to ask the Taser vendor about the Taser Pulse because they got some new stuff that's out. And it's better that you hear it straight from their mouths versus hearing me talk about it all the time. So here we go. Hey, guys, it's Jason Reeve here. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From American Gun. I'm here at the Taser so now, booth with Sarah Morell. We're going to ask some questions here about uh, Taser. Yeah. Welcome well, to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Okay. Um, we've, I've got a lot of emails from my viewers about the Taser, and particularly the Taser Pulse. And I understand now that the Taser Pulse has a app that it can link to to give your GPS coordinates. Exactly, yeah. The Taser Pulse Plus will link to an app called Noonlight. So when you deploy the Pulse Plus, it'll tell the app it's been deployed. Dispatch will call you. If you don't respond to dispatch within 10 seconds, they're going to send law enforcement out to your location using the GPS location on your phone. Oh, that is amazing. Yeah. And what is the runtime for the Taser Pulse? It is 30 seconds. 30, 30 second exposure. 30 seconds. And yeah. that comes in with the safe escape guarantee that you guys have, right? Yeah, exactly. So if you use the device uh, for self-defense, leave it there, get to safety, come back with law enforcement. If the device is gone, just send us in the police report and we'll replace it for free. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much, Sarah. Yeah. I do appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. All right, folks. So that was a short interview with uh, Sarah from Taser. And we've talked about non-lethal self-defense tools on this show a lot. And I have to tell you, um, being there and seeing the Taser Pulse, and the Taser Pulse isn't just the only option that Taser offers. They have a flashlight that's also a stun gun. They have all different kinds of non-lethal self-defense tools that you can use. But one thing that I think is so cool with the Taser Pulse is that it, is able to connect with the Nightlight app, which would give your GPS coordinates. If you don't answer within 10 seconds, dispatch is going to be alerting the police and sending them to your location. And there's not a better deal than the safe escape guarantee that they offer. If you ever have to use that taser pulse to get away from an attacker as they're being zapped on the ground for 30 seconds, that gives you plenty of time to get away. You call the police, you fill out a report, and you go ahead and send that report to Taser, and they will send you a Taser Pulse completely free of charge. I don't know of any other self-defense organization that offers that kind of guarantee with their product. As Sarah told me off-air, we would rather replace the taser than something happen to you. There's no better guarantee for that. And the taser pulse retails for about $450. 
But I mean, think about it. If you don't want to carry a gun and this Taser Pulse looks like a gun. It, it looks exactly like a, a small little 380 mouse gun out there. But the fact that you, you can zap somebody for 30 seconds and get yourself to safety, that is just an awesome deal. So I highly recommend that you guys head out, head over to Taser. Um, you can Google Taser and it'll take you right to their website. And I really recommend that you, you guys check this out because I tell you what, I considered getting one for Sam before she started carrying a firearm. And who knows, we might buy one anyway. Because, I mean, they're just that that good and that awesome. And like I said, they have other products that are there as well. So check them out at Taser. All right, folks, we're going to get going with our big interview. And that was with Lieutenant John Norse from the California Fish and Wildlife Service. And I know what somebody's thinking already, like, whoa, wait a second, California Wildlife? Yes, he was a wildlife uh, conservation officer in the state of California. And for, it was first dedicated, a full. this was the first dedicated team for marijuana and drug trafficking operations in California. Um, it's the California Department of Fish and Wildlife uh, Marijuana Enforcement Team. Now, it was co-developed by Lieutenant Norse in July of 2013. This 12-operator team has been highly effective in their first six years of operations. The MET has also developed the first sniper-designated Markman Observer Team to expand the team's officer safety and mission cap- capabilities. And... In January of 2017, the MET and K-9 Phoebe effectiveness was recognized by both houses of the California Congress through resolution ceremonies bringing to light the issue to the California Senate and the Assembly. So we're going to go ahead and run the interview here. Uh, He's got a new book coming out called Hidden War, which goes through those six years of being with the MET and this interview for me just being there is an eye-opener so pay very close attention to this hey folks Jason with American Gun here I got a special treat for you here at the NRA annual meeting I'm here with Lieutenant John Norse from the California Fish and Wildlife Department he's here to talk about his new book Hidden War which talks about the illegal the drug cartels legally coming into the country and using the environment out there to grow illegal marijuana. Lieutenant Norris, thank you very much for uh, coming on the show here. You bet, Jason. Thanks so much for having me. Um, the public threat and massive environmental destruction that international drug cartels cause throughout our nation, as highlighted in your new book, Hidden War, is alarming. Your team of wildlife conservation officers are on the front lines in California, literally gunfighting with these violent groups to protect our public and environment. I had no idea game wardens with these violent 
or I'm sorry, <laughs> um, I had no idea game wardens were trained and organized as special operation units directly involved in this fight. How did this develop, and how has it changed the game of wildlife officers throughout the country? Yeah, that's a really good question, Jason. And obviously, when people think of a, a game warden, they think of somebody that checks fishing licenses to make sure people have their fishing licenses and are in compliance legally when they're angling, they have their hunting license, they haven't taken too many fish, or you know they haven't poached a deer or not tagged it. And all of those traditional jobs that we all do and love, because we love wildlife as game wardens, are very important. Um, what we do on the marijuana enforcement team and what we morphed into is a little bit different. It's a little bit more specialized, more progressive for the times at hand right now. Um, we started to find our first cartel grows with allied agencies back around 2004, 2005. My first book, War in the Woods, goes into working with allied agencies on those missions, uh, getting into gunfights, one in which my partner, Dave Warden, was shot when we were ambushed. He was shot by an AK-47, a round that went through both of his legs. And I literally sat with him trying to keep him from bleeding out of four holes for three long hours before we had an air rescue that got him off the hill within minutes of him passing away. Fortunately, by the good graces, he survived. Um, but that changed the game for us because, one, we were ill-equipped that day. We were undermanned. Uh, we didn't have the logistic or administrative support to do the job correctly because up to that point, no cartel growers had ever attacked law enforcement officers effectively. No one had ever been hit or hurt. And it happened to be my game-worn partner that was that day. One of the questions that was asked was, after that very violent, horrendous uh, event occurred on August 5th, 2005, from the governor Erica, 15 years ago because the active ingredient in these poisons is a nerve agent that the Nazis developed for World War II. This stuff is so toxic, two teaspoons of it will kill up to three to five miles of creek and every living fish or aquatic within the waterway. Deadly to human consumption and minute doses. Kills animals almost on contact when that nerve agent uh, reacts. So when you look at these grow sites being in the woods and the headwaters of all our pristine waterways across America, they're killing fish, they're killing bears, deer, you know, small game, big game, but they're also poisoning our soil. They're tearing out tree and habitat cover for wildlife. Um, so it's a huge public safety problem as well as an environmental crime problem. And that's why game wardens got involved. Now, obviously, because of the violence we saw, kind of ill-equipped to do that on the traditional game warden front. So what we had to do was, with the blessing of our chief, believing in us enough and knowing that we had some skilled tacticians on the unit out of our 400 officers, we built a pilot program in 2013, <coughs> excuse me, where I could handpick kind of the best tactical operators and some of the best game wardens in the state to build this team. And I got 12 of us on it. Some, an ex-Navy SEAL, other guys with uh, military and law enforcement special operations backgrounds, sniper backgrounds like myself and some of the other guys on the team, and two of the best canines in the country and canine handlers to get on board and go att attack these guys without any red tape, any district boundaries, reporting directly for our chief in the headquarters umbrella, almost like a SOCOM designed military unit outside of mainline, mainline forces. And that was started in 2013, which is really the start of Hidden War of the Book, the new one. It goes into building the team, why we built it, how we built it, how we met a lot of resistance, the internal and external politics of being so unconventional in a game war force. I mean, it wasn't only viewed as uh, kind of crazy by outside agencies at first and the public that don't really understand what a game warden does anyway. It was kind of viewed as really radical by guys within the agency. So, you know, we had, to, we had an uphill battle. But we, we were very effective in the first start of the pilot program in 2013, and then we just kept getting more and more and more effective, and now the violence didn't stop. 
but and the gunfights didn't stop and the canine apprehensions didn't stop because these guys are very violent and don't often give up but what did stop was us getting hurt you know we have the tactics we have the equipment we have the weaponry we have the air support we have the trauma medicine uh, you know uh, background and, and tools now with a good trauma program and we had a lot of support from our administrators and really the rest of the world as we started to expose the issue so that's how we came about and why we're here and that's what the book goes into the first six years of that and, uh, and all the ups and downs and exciting missions and what we learned even more about the cartels and even more about what works and doesn't work when you legalize and regulate which California did about a year and a half before I retired toward the end of the book and there's some pretty eye-opening uh, eye-opening stories that are really mind-blowing and pretty Absolutely. shocking yeah uh, conservation agencies throughout the U.S. are not traditionally known for doing this work described in Hidden War or having specialized teams like your team does. How has the development of this specialized team and its mission been received throughout your agency and other similar agencies throughout the country? Very good question, and at first it was kind of perceived as pretty radical. It's like, okay, why are these guys playing cowboy running around like a little SEAL team, you know, inside California? Are they really, are they really up to the task, and are they really good enough to do this, and do we even need to do this? Um, but since we've been effective, we've had a lot of good press to put the issue out there and really, uh, you know, tell the story through documentaries, through investigative news reports, through now my second book, previously my first book, and a lot of outreach I do. And, you know, as, as a lieutenant and one of the developers of the team and the, and the supervisor of the team, 30% of my job through the whole process of not only starting the Met, but also working it till I retired, was outreach and education, exactly what we're doing today. Talk to good press groups that are like-minded, true Americans, patriotic, love our resources, want to keep our country safe. Um, outreach is super important. The pen is always mightier than the sword. And we aptly named the second book, the new book, Hidden War, because after 10 years of telling this story on every platform I possibly can, and having one book out on the subject, very different, but War in the Woods back in 2010, very different, but on the same subject matter, I'm shocked by here at NRA with all our brothers and sisters on the east, eastern side of the country at the NRA annual that pick up the book and go, this is amazing and mind-blowing, but I had no idea we had anything like this in America. Ten years later, I hear that every day. Yeah. So I can't talk enough about it. Yeah, I had I, no idea myself. Right? And so um, that, was, uh, that was one of the things we did to really make it effective, and now it's very well received in the agency. It's not everybody can do the job because of the physical, mental, and tactical um, uh, requirements of the job to be on this team, and also the dedication and the level and intensity that we work. It's not easy work. We work a ridiculously long hours and you know crazy arduous conditions, but we love what we do because we think we're making the biggest dent, and we really like to hunt the most egregious environmental criminals we have in the country. So um, right now it's very well received. Um, and ironically, when we take that question a little further, even the legitimate cannabis community, regardless of where you sit on the user, don't use, for or against, left or right on the political spectrum on cannabis, the cannabis industry, that is the, the handful that are doing it organically, that don't believe in environmental crime, that want to protect wildlife and our resources, abhor what we're fighting. And they've actually gone on board and they actually support our mission. So 10, 15, 20 years ago, these same growers would have looked at us and run like Big Brother and expected to be in handcuffs. Now they're giving us hugs and shaking our hands, which we never anticipated happening. But at least it's a unified front. You know, it really takes the cannabis, the cannabis subject out of the equation and makes it about you know um, national purity from an environmental standpoint and from a public safety standpoint. So we have them on our side too, and both sides of the fence are supporting us, and that's that's a, a real good thing in a in a war that can't be fought with law enforcement alone. Absolutely. 
after all the violence and environmental uh, destruction you and your fellow conservation officers experienced in California, you co-developed and led a dedicated special operations team of game wardens called the Marijuana Enforcement Team and your agency's first sniper unit in 2013 to combat the problem. What are the MET's uh, capabilities and overall mission? Yeah, so the MET was developed primarily our, our, our 100% focus goal and, and, and mission is to combat the trespass growers, the cartel-based trespass uh, growers, working with impunity throughout all of California. And certainly we're, we're a California team and only work within borders of California, but we also advise and, and teach other units, um, learn from other units, share ideas for other tactical teams, conservation or otherwise, that might run across the same problem. Um, the team is a very highly skilled tactical unit, so we don't just do cartel marijuana work. We might do homeland security and help out with, uh, you know, other other special operations units from domestic law enforcement teams or the military even on a, you know, anything from a disaster, uh, you know, homeland security issue. Uh, it could be a number of issues, a fugitive recovery, you name it. We're equipped to do it. The sniper unit we developed, Delta Team is one of these really unique sniper units that has to work in every environment in California, all the way from 11 to 12,000 feet in the eastern Sierra, down to the beaches, you know, to the ocean, in the deserts, um, you know, off coast. So our sniper unit was developed very mobile, a very lightweight POF platform, you know, with a smaller optic that's hikeable. Um, day and night operations, you know, we're MBG equipped to operate in, in, in any darkness, any low light conditions. So we're really a mobile tactical unit that can pretty much do it all, but with a focus of staying home when we're not training, of tackling the cartel growers. Awesome. How effective has the MET been since 2013? Uh, the, the Met's been very effective since we started in 2013. Every year we've continued to grow a little bit in our production. And when you break it down to numbers, I'd have to go back to the book to really remember um, where we were at at the end of 20, 2018, start of 2019. But in that six-year period, the team had eradicated almost 3 million, right around 3 million approximate uh, poison marijuana plants. And these aren't just eradicating 3 million plants. All of these plants were tainted with that banned EPA cardiofuran I'm talking about, right? That nerve agent that's illegal to have. So um, not only are we taking poison marijuana out of the forest, we're also keeping animals and humans from being affected negatively and or dying from coming across that marijuana. We have uh, approximately 900 arrests of cartel uh, felony growers. A majority of those 900 armed with either handguns or rifles. We took out somewhere in the neighborhood of a thousand illegal weapons, from assault rifles to pistols to you know everything in between, edged weapons, um, and and hundreds of thousands of pounds of uh, propane tanks, grow waste, black poly pipe, somewhere in the tune of 500 miles of the black poly pipe they put out there to divert water to grow their illegal marijuana, um, and. Uh, chemicals and legal chemicals and illegal chemicals like carbofuran we took out uh, you know many gallons of that as well so we've been very effective but we're still pushing an uphill battle we're only getting up a small percentage we're one team of a handful still doing that type of work against the cartels in california and other parts of the country so we're not getting it all but we're uh, we're getting a lot more than we used to so overall effectiveness from our baseline of how we started we feel very uh we're very satisfied that we put uh, put up the numbers and production that we have. Now, I, re I uh, do remember back when California was having the uh, the peak of their drought. Right. These cartels were diverting waterways right. to grow their marijuana. Yeah. How would that affect the uh, the population centers in California during that drought? Yeah, good question on the drought. The drought was one of those. It was it was like the perfect storm of everything being a, a red alert, panic attack. Mm -hmm. uh, the governor at the time, Jerry Brown 
did not realize how impacting these trespass growers were until we started to actually get some quantified science and talk about the impacts to waterways and, and what these what these growers were doing. And when we learned that between 2013 or 2014 and 2015, rather, in that one year period, approximately 1.3 billion gallons. I mean, we're talking billion gallons. 1.3 billion gallons of California's water was diverted and stolen by cartel growers in the state's worst drought that we've had in a century. So um, annual streams were completely dry. Um, the Hoopa Indian Reservation up in Humboldt County literally were getting to a point where they would turn on their water faucet and wouldn't have drinking water because so much water was being sucked out of an already depleted river in the drought. Um, you know, before they could get their water source to drink, to bathe, uh, to, to do anything else. Uh, how are these growers uh, getting trespassing and coming across the border into the country, and how were they getting their products through? Good question. Um, what we've learned, and I'll go into this in hit more in the book, a lot more in depth, but in debriefing some uh, some cartel henchmen, so to speak, and I can't say anything more on that to any other uh, depth, rather. But we've realized that getting across the border is is just a speed bump to them. They don't uh, find it much of a, a hindrance. It costs very little money for uh, cartel grow bosses to bring their tier one skilled growers across the border. Uh, you know, we're talking a couple thousand dollars when these guys are going to make the organization millions. So they can get uh, themselves across, and they really don't have to bring much across because the infrastructure is here. The guns are supplied to them up here. The camping implement, the growing implements, all the equipment needed for that are supplied in in America once they make it across the border. But the one thing they can't get here, obviously, is the EPA banned carbofuran poisons, which they do get in Mexico and smuggle across with them. While Hidden, War, while Hidden War focuses on the development challenges and highlighted missions of your agency, MET, over the last six years, it also describes your team's specialized canine unit and some of their amazing life-saving incidents. Everyone loves a good dog story, and you guys have a legendary one until she sadly passed away last summer. Tell us about Canine Phoebe and what did she mean to your team? Yeah, Canine Phoebe, it just... It's bittersweet to even, you know, talk about her. I mean, she's, we loved her to death. She was a, a total partner, uh, you know, to the team. Um, and, and I knew that dog since she was two, three years old when I met Brian as uh, Brian, uh, her handler, way back in the day when we were doing standard patrol stuff. Um, Phoebe had a legendary career. She was a one in a million dog. She had 116 cartel bad guy bites and before she passed, which is unheard of for even a military or a, uh, a domestic law enforcement dog. But she also had another 900 arrests of cartel gunmen that she didn't have to bite. So somewhere over a thousand apprehensions. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, it chokes us up just to just to yeah, talk I about. Yeah, I can see your wife just, here. Is, uh, just, just she was a very special dog. She, I can see your wife is She, she was her. an amazing dog, and um, we love her like we love our little little white lab. And my little white lab Apollo, a companion canine, and her were buddies and. You know, she was as sweet as a, a, a little companion dog until she got serious and we called her the fur missile and went to work. And never been an officer, total love bug, but she was all business when she was in the groves. And that's largely a tribute to the amazing talent and dedication and just energy that Brian, her handler, took and the symbiotic relationship they had as canine and canine handler. They were one in a million team. Um, but she had a record number of bites. And besides uh, what those numbers really tell us, besides just a statistic, is that 
That was over a thousand armed cartel gunmen in our country illegally destroying the environment that probably would have killed or severely injured anyone that came across them. So she saved how many count, how many hundreds, if not thousands, of people that she saved by taking those guys into custody. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, and I go into this in the book especially, how many times Phoebe on deployment saved me from getting shot, Brian from getting shot, and the rest of the team. It was just, uh, it was amazing. Um, we, we, we were involved in six gunfights uh, collectively as a team from when we started doing this work individually before we started as a unit in 2013 up until our last gunfight as a, as a unit when I was still there in 2017. And we would have had 20 or 30 more gunfights easily had it not been for Phoebe interdicting a, a guy pulling a gun on us before we could get to him. So she was amazing, and she will be missed. Um, she's highlighted and hidden more extensively. There's wonderful pictures of her in color, and you'll see her scattered all throughout the book and our, our, our new canines as well, um, given their just contributions to the team and their amazing spirit and personality. That's awesome. Yeah. That is absolutely amazing. Uh, you just retired with, from a 28-year game warden career with the uh, last half of it dedicated to special operations combating the marijuana cartel problem. What's next, and will you continue rep to represent the MAT teammates and their environmental protection missions? Yeah, um, I, I consider that amazing career I had at 28 years being operational in the field as a game warden um, a blessing, an amazing experience. And um, especially the last 10 to 15 years that I was uh, focusing on the cartel marijuana front, that became a forte. Uh, and I was very blessed to specialize in that right up until the end. That was phase one. Now in phase two, I definitely will represent my Met brothers and sisters and our canine assets by doing everything I can to send their message, keep them safe, keep them supported, keep the public aware, keep the nation aware of what officers like uh, operators on the on the Met and our canines are doing and all game wardens as part of the thin green line throughout America and we are a very thin green line of a uh, if you buy a hundred dollars a product from 511 I, I sign one for you so I'll be offered yeah. No, that's okay. No, we got we still got more on, on that question. Okay. So, um, so in phase two, I'm going to continue to, to represent Met and do outreach. And now that I am retired, I can speak a little more freely and do a little more TV and uh, branding and, and networking the book. Um, you know, I'm I'm slowly making the transition as hard as it is. Uh, I'm not an arrow anymore on the front line. You know, soaring in to take out a bad guy. I'm an archer supporting my arrows and that's what the met guys are the operators are arrows out there and all i can do is be that archer and support them as best i can that's awesome uh other than exposing the public safety and environmental resource threats of cartel trespass marijuana growing operations throughout the u.s what why did you write the uh hidden war book hidden war was written like you said to expose the issue mm -hmm. um but it was also written out of frustration uh, obviously, I've been a game warden now for almost three decades. I love wildlife waterways and our wild lands, just like everybody uh, that I work with, like you guys as well, the, everyone here in NRA. Um, we love America, and America really is, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a nation of diversity and wildlife. It's a nation of diversity, uh, you know, open space and forests, and, you know, there's a purity to that. It's where we can go to, you know, get away from the hustle and bustle of an urban society. We can unwind with our families. We can focus on nature without distractions and to see that impacted in any negative way especially by uh you know foreign invaders that are very violent 
you know, that don't have any respect for our wildlands, waterways, and wildlife, and they certainly have no respect for humanity and can harm our public. Um, I really wrote the book out of frustration that the message isn't getting out there far enough. I mean, in 10 years, uh, since the first book came out, and we've done a ton of TV, including the Wild Justice Game Worn Reality Show on Nat Geo, the first of its kind, and documentaries, Patriot Profiles, NRA TV, investigative news reports, and a first book. Ten years later, and I'm here at the show, and they're picking up this book going, this is crazy. I had no idea this was going on in the country. And we named it Hidden War for that reason, because it really is a hidden war within our borders, kind of under wraps, so to speak. But it, it, we need to keep pushing the message. And I'm realizing that I've been doing the outreach related to this message now for, like I said, over a decade. And very few people still know. So that's why I wrote it. Right. And we're going to keep pushing it hard. Well, we're definitely going to help you to try to get the, the, Thank you the, guys. the you message guys awesome. out. Yeah. Uh, how can listeners and viewers get a copy of Hidden Morgan? Um, Hidden Moore is available, really easy to get. It's available everywhere. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it on Barnes & Noble. You can buy it at all major bookstores. Um, there is an electronic Kindle version just dropped this week on Amazon. We're going to be doing an audiobook on this, uh, which is new for my publisher, but we're real excited about that. We'll probably be doing that midsummer. Probably won't see that audiobook on Amazon until... I'm going to say third quarter around then, but I'll certainly keep everybody up on uh, up on that. Um, for if you want a personalized copy and you can't get to one of my signing <laughs> events or you you know don't want to buy a blanked out copy on Amazon, hit me up through my email at johnnorris.com. That's j-o-h-n-n-o-r-e-s.com. You'll get to my email link. Put a personal email in of where you'd like a signed copy sent. We'll work out payment, and I'll get you a personalized copy sent uh, within a day or two of getting the email. So we'll we'll make sure we get the, the message out to a lot of folks. And that email there is how people can reach you if they yep. want to get in touch with yep. you? Yep, johnnorris.com. Really easy. All right. I, uh, Lieutenant Norris, thank you very much. I appreciate you taking time out with the thank American so Gun much, audience. Guys. Thank you, you very much. Awesome. And they can also follow him on Instagram. Follow him on Instagram as well. Okay. All right, folks, that was Lieutenant John Norris from the NRA annual meeting. All right, folks, that was a very powerful interview with Lieutenant Norse. That was definitely eye-opening for myself. I know it was eye-opening for Sam as well. I mean, we talked about it on our drive back home from Indianapolis that this is happening on our own soil in California. Uh, I highly recommend going out and getting Hidden More. It will open your eyes. We need to spread awareness throughout the country that this is happening. I mean, look at what happened during the drought. That was one of the worst droughts in California history. And believe me, I know somebody is going to point out that, well, you know, Jason, you rag on California a lot for their gun laws, which is true. I do rag on California for their, their gun laws. I don't always agree with what the politicians do in California. But the thing is, they are still American citizens. They are people out there that do not agree with the... <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I'm not trying to laugh because this is a serious operation, but Sam is off doing something really goofy. So I, I apologize for that laughter. But in all seriousness, those are still Americans out there and they were diverting water precious water that the people in California need, particularly in Southern California, for drinking, for taking care of their animals, preparing food. And these cartel members were coming in and taking it with no consequence whatsoever for the people in that state. So I think this is something that we need to get out. It's very important that we get this to the country 
because before I did this interview and got the information on Hidden War, I had no idea this was happening out there in California. This is definitely something that we need to address and get it taken care of. All right, guys, that is going to do it for American Gun tonight. Thank you very much for listening in. As always, you can join the conversation. You can follow me at Twitter at JasonReeve81, or you can go over to our website, AmericanGun.info, to put in your comments, and I read every single one of them. Until we meet again tomorrow, thank you guys for listening in. Stay safe, and remember, an armed society is a free society. Good night, everybody.